0: In Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27, so there's been wave after wave of attack on Jesus from the religious leaders in these few days between Palm Sunday and uh, Good Friday. And here's the next wave, the Sadducees are coming after him. Just so that you understand, the Sadducees were um, unlike the Pharisees, uh, though they were part of the, there were Sadducees in the Sanhedrin in the council of the Jewish leaders uh, among the priests. uh, The Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, did not believe in the resurrection. Once you die, you're done. Um, And so it's helpful to know that as we see them come with an interesting story in question. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. And and Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Let me pause and say, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you want to see it. It's called the Leverett Marriage if a man dies and has left no offspring in order to perpetuate his name and uh, the inheritance the brother-in-law or the brother comes along takes his wife and bears him children that was in Deuteronomy chapter 25 they they continue with with a hypothetical situation there were 7 brothers The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, "'Is this not the reason you are wrong? "'Because you know neither the Scriptures "'nor the power of God. "'For when they rise from the dead, "'they neither marry nor are given in marriage, "'but are like angels in heaven. "'And as for the dead being raised,' Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we, <laughs> we come... And we ask for your help this morning. What a strange little scene this is. Um, We ask that you would help us. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand the power you have. Even as we think about this for a few minutes together this morning. Uh, And show us Jesus. And help us to trust him. We ask. In His name, Amen. I brought this chair this morning because I'm tired, um, and it's both symbolic and necessary for me to sit down. <laughs> I'm tired, and I'm weary. Um, And I know you are too. So, if it's all right with you, and I may be a little tender, so forgive me. If it's all right with you, can we just kind of talk through this passage together? Actually, I'll talk through it and you listen, but can I just talk through it with you and try to help you understand it by helping you see what God said to me in it? that's okay um, because I, I don't think I'm the only one that's tired and weary here um, on Monday on Mondays I meet through zoom with a group of pastors from our presbytery and we talk about what's going on and those guys are weary and tired we hear it we see it in each other's eyes we hear it in each other's voices Tuesday evening, uh, Christine and I and the kids and some of you and several others from um, the city, several hundred gathered in Miller Park and uh, watched as some of our black and white pastors in the, the community gathered together and really expressed that they're tired and they're weary and they long to see reconciliation happen between um, white and black brothers and sisters, much less the rest of the community, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, in the church. And we confessed and we prayed and they washed each other's feet in front of us. It was a sweet time, but it was reflective of the weariness that even God's people are feeling about the, the longing we have to see true reconciliation happen. Christine and I talked with an African-American brother in Christ yesterday uh, named Johnny who, you know, we were just talking and, and he said, he said, Lord Jesus, come. And we said, Amen. Wednesday afternoon, uh, we had our weekly staff meeting, and uh, there were tears, there's tiredness, there's weariness. The staff is tired. It's just where we are. Wednesday night, met with the elders, looked at those brothers in the eyes, and they're tired. Um... They're worn out. They're still going, but <laughs> and they love you, but we're tired. So Friday morning, I woke up, honestly, kind of bummed, kind of discouraged. Tried to read scripture, pray, do the, my normal morning things, and just didn't feel like it was working for me. Then Christine said, want to go for a walk at McCoy? I was like, no, but yes. Um, I mean, when a beautiful lady like that invites you to go for a walk, why not? But I needed it. And we talked, and we both talked about our own personal weariness and tiredness. Um, And I told her... I said, and on top of all this, I've got to preach the weirdest text from Mark on Sunday. That's when I'm, you know, after this walk, I'm going to go get a shower and go to my office and start trying to figure out how in the world am I going to explain what Jesus is talking about when he says there's no marrying or giving in marriage in in heaven and be like angels and, oh, that'll cheer everybody up, right? Right? So but as I was thinking about it, it, was getting showered and dressed and thinking about what the passage said, and I just was like, Lord, what do you want to say to me in this strange passage? What do you beyond that, what do you want to say to your people this week? And his Jesus' statement in this passage. Um, where he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Just, I was on fire like that bush. And, it's like, well great, again, that's encouraging. So you want me to tell myself and your people Here's the reason you're wrong. You are, in fact, you are quite wrong. He says it twice. Yeah. The word he's using there means to be mistaken or misled or deceived. Um, so much so that you proceed without any sense of direction. That you, you move through whatever you're doing without any sense of direction. You just wander. And as I learned that, I thought, yeah, that's kind of how I feel lately. I just kind of feel like I'm walking around in a daze and a fog. And I don't, I don't know where to go, what to do. Is this not the reason you are wandering and proceeding without a sense of direction? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Okay. But I'm a pastor, I'm a seminary educated pastor. I know the scriptures. I know the word. I know the power of God. Right, 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 right. But are you paying attention to them? So what does Jesus do? He says, you know neither the scriptures, and then he takes them to the scriptures. He says, have you not read in the book of Moses? Now, the book of Moses is the first five, our first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Um, and interestingly enough, the Sadducees only believe that five, those five books. That's all they believe is the books of Moses. And so all of their doctrine derives from those five books nothing else. And so he goes right there to the place that they supposedly know and believe. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, so we know, we call that Exodus chapter three, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to go to Exodus 3 and kind of chew on that for a while. Great. Not only do I have to chew on Mark 12, now I have to chew on Exodus 3. I'm just being real with you. This is how I felt. But you go to Exodus 3, and, of course, here are God's people uh, at the end of 400 years in slavery in Egypt... 400 years, um, and, and, and they're, they're probably thinking, where's the promise of his coming? I mean, he, he, he said um, in Genesis 15 to Abraham, or to Abram at that time, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, slaves there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So there's a definite time period, and I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And they'll come back here to Canaan. So you imagine that God's people at this point are are saying, Where's the promise of your coming? It's 400 years, 400 years, and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse. They're tired and they're weary. The promise that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to a place where I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Where is that promise, God? Where is that promise? That we will be your people in a place that you've put us to live and thrive and flourish for the sake of all the nations, all the families of the earth. Where where is that promise? And when I read Exodus three, I love, I love what God said. He said, I have surely. Seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. This phrase right here kills me. I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them and bring them up. They're as good as dead but I've come down to bring them up and deliver them. Sounds like the gospel to me. The cry of the people has come to me. I've seen their oppression. And he says, and this is what Jesus quotes, he says to tell them, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God who cares for you, just like I cared for them. I'm the God who's committed to you, just like I was committed to them. I'm the God who comes for you, just like I came for them. I'm the God who will carry you through the wilderness into the promised land, just like I carried them. Why? Because I am the covenant-keeping God. I'm the God who keeps covenant with my people. There's this this covenant relationship, this promise that I've made to them, that I made to Abraham and to all of his children. I will come because I care and I'm committed. I needed to remember that. Because, see, I know the scriptures, but I don't remember what they teach me about my God. I get my eyes all on the, horizon, on the horizontal and not on him. And what Jesus is trying to get at here is that death does not end the covenant God makes with his people. Death does not end the covenant God makes with his people. He's the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're still alive, and I'm still their God. I'm still in covenant relationship with them. And if I'm still in covenant relationship with them, you can be sure that no matter what happens to you, even if you die in Egypt, I will be your God Covenant with you too. In all of this, I think what Jesus is trying to say to these guys who don't believe not only in resurrection but in any kind of life after death is it it doesn't make sense. You don't even know your own scriptures, you don't even know your own God. If He says that He is the God, Currently, right now, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your fathers, how is there not life after this life? How is there not more? What a sad, hopeless people the Sadducees are. I mean, the old joke is they're sad, you see. Well, I mean, it's it's real. Their hope, what if as Paul said, if, if, in, if all we have to hope for is what's in this life, then we're pitiful. And I forget that the scriptures teach me that my God is the God of the living. And he cares. And he's committed. And he will come. And he will carry me. And he will carry you. And he will carry Mountain Fellowship because he'll keep his covenant with us. And then Jesus said, you also don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of God. And I think he's addressing that when he says, in verse 25, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. You you guys don't know the power of God. You don't you don't have any idea what God's going to do. And he says they're going to be, well, first of all, he says they will rise from the dead. So he doesn't get into a debate about resurrection. The power of God is the power of God that will raise them from the dead. The resurrection is a reality. And my problem is, this is what he convicted me of this week, is I don't live in reality. I don't live in the light of the resurrection. I don't live in the light of what he says is coming. The hope of the life to come should give me life, It should give me hope in life now. But then he says, they'll be like angels. Now, a lot of people, this is where we get confused. He's not saying that in the resurrections we will be angels. He's saying we'll be like angels, and so you have to think about what what does the Bible say the angels are doing? What what do they do now? What does Revelation paint a picture of? The angels are absolutely, can't even talk. (laughs) They are consumed, captivated by the glory and the greatness and the goodness And the grace of God, right now, they are just, you know, that picture in Revelation of the elders and the angels and every living creature around the throne, surrounded. He is the center of reality. He's the center of all of their attention and affection. That's that's what it's going to be like. He will be everything to us. And I love, I love what First Peter, what he says, uh, Peter says in First Peter is that the good news is something that angels long to look into. The gospel is something angels long to look into. They are, they are absolutely amazed and captivated by the grace that God has towards sinful humans. The relationship that he has with us captures the attention of, and the adoration of angels. So we will be like them in the sense that we will be caught up in the amazement of who God is and what he's done. But then this whole thing about marriage. Why, why would he say they neither marry or are given in marriage? Um... Here's the bottom line, and you can go read more about it. or Send me an email, and I'll send you something to read. But I think the bottom line is this. Marriage is a picture and a shadow. Um, Just like the temple and the sacrifices and the lamb that was sacrificed is a picture or a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. So once Jesus came, we didn't need the picture of the shadow anymore. Those were great, but they were nothing compared to having the Lamb of God in the flesh himself. Hard as it may be to imagine, marriage is just a shadow. It's just a picture of the relationship that we will experience with Jesus in heaven. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the marriage between a Christian man and a Christian woman is about The marriage between Christ and his church. And so, even in the, and for some people, they read this and they go, great, because I haven't had a great experience with marriage. So, good. But for others of us, we think, how could it get any better? Uh, obviously we know that there are hard parts of marriage, but what about the sweet times in a Christian marriage? The the mental, the spiritual, the emotional, the physical intimacy between two people who love Jesus and love each other by His Spirit's power. That's amazing. And you're telling me that's not going to be in heaven? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that's going to be Way more in heaven than you even experience it now. This is just a taste. The sweetest moments in your marriage are just even a barely little taste of what all of resurrected life is going to be. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But it's going to be that good. It's... And this is why Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of a man or a woman what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even comprehend. We can't even comprehend what's coming. And so... uh, when Nathan chose Isaiah 25 for our call to worship this morning, I was just like, "Yes, yes, that at least, at least give us something, Lord, that would kind of give us stir our imagination a little bit." And so He does when He says, "The Lord of Hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine." This is a marriage supper, folks of rich food, full of marrow and aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, this heaviness that we all feel right now. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth For the Lord has spoken, it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus said, your problem is, Sadducees, Jimmy, Mountain Fellowship, your problem is, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And therefore, you don't know your God. Or, okay, you know him, but you've forgotten. And you've got to be reminded. That's why the scriptures over and over and over again say, remember, 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 do not forget, do not forget, remember. So, that's what he did with me as I looked at this this weekend. The reason I'm wrong, the reason I'm misguided, the reason I'm wandering in this fog of my own discouragement and doubt and blah, is because I've forgotten the scriptures and the power of God. I've forgotten my God is the God of the living. This is beautiful. Mark tells this little story in a book all about Jesus and so if you think about someone reading Mark's gospel and they get to this story and they've already they already know the story they've heard somebody tell them but now they're reading it it's like when we're watching a great play or a movie or we're reading a novel and we know more than the characters in the story know, you know? I'm sure there's a technical term for that. but And we're like, don't you see it? Wait, just, it's coming. Just hold on, it's coming. And the irony that Jesus is having this conversation with, with Sadducees just days before he raises from the dead. And the irony that, a reader of Mark's gospel would would see when just a few pages later they read that resurrection that Jesus was talking about. He did it first. He did it first. And so, because Jesus is the prototype of resurrection, the promise of resurrection is true. It's ours. And the way we are reminded of, about the resurrection that is our reality in the midst of the fog we live in is we read it in the scriptures called the Gospel of Mark. And we see the power of God on display in the resurrection of Jesus as he kicked open the gates of death, hell, and the grave from the inside out. And he's alive. That's all I got for you. But that's enough. Friends, we're in some weird, hard days. As a world, as a nation, as the church global, as the church local, there's a lot of reasons to be tired and weary. But our God is the God of the living. And I don't want you to forget it. And I don't want you to let me forget it. Our God is the God of the living. Our God is the God, Jesus, who knows our suffering and came to suffer with us, for us, in our place. And he's alive. If he's not, what what are we doing here? He's alive. And no matter what happens in the days to come, we will live with Him. And we can be a people who live in hope because He is resurrected. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Thanks for teaching this stubborn, hard-headed, pastor, that he doesn't know the scriptures or the power of his God very much, or at least he doesn't believe it a lot of the time. Holy Spirit, Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, come and raise our hearts from deadness and doubt. Help us to go back to the scriptures and back to the power of God, particularly the gospel and the resurrection, and to hang on with hope and to do what you've called us to do here, even as we wait for you to come get us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.